Um, today there are uh, two readings um, and they are uh, uh, both on the screen and the first one is in your leaflet. Um, the first reading is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 to 10. Paul, Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And the second readings is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. This is our vision series. Uh, last week, we spent a little bit of time looking at the first little phrase of our vision statement, which is to be and to make disciples of Jesus Christ in Christian community for the good of the world to the glory of God. We looked at what it was to be disciples. And this week, we're actually turning our attention to the second little word, to make disciples. Part of this is something we do each year is to recalibrate, to recheck, to make sure we are doing what it is that we should be doing. I used an illustration last time of uh, orienteering. It's always smart when you're orienteering to stop, check your bearings and actually make sure that unlike me, uh, you are actually going the right way. Uh, I've related the story of how I led my little squad down the wrong ridge into a swamp. Uh, that is not what we want to do as a church. Metaphorically, spiritually, we don't want to end up in the swamp. So this little time is something that we, we the time we stop uh, to check, to make sure everything is okay. It's like uh, when you get to my age in your mid to late 20s, uh, you make periodic checks to the doctor, not because you're sick, uh, but because you don't want to be sick and you don't want there to be any little nasty surprises. And so you go along, you think everything's okay, but you just want to make sure. That's what we're doing now. 
And we're using 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and the church in Thessalonica as a model of what it looks like to have a church that is captivated by the gospel and then using that to then reflect upon our life together. So last week we looked at to be disciples, this week to make disciples. And now can I say, as we start, those two things are not two separate things. They fundamentally are two sides of the same coin. You can't be a church. Trinity Hills couldn't say, we're going to be a disciple-making church. We're going to leave the disciple-being churches, the, the discipleship church. We're going to be evangelism. That's all we're going to do. In the same way, we couldn't do the other and say, no, discipleship is what we're on about. We're not on about sharing the gospel with anyone out there. We just want to grow in our discipleship here. You have to have both. Matthew 28 sets that out, and that's what we've tried to capture in our little vision statement. We're going to unpack it today under five headings. So you're taking notes. These are in your leaflet. Uh, They've got a common theme. Let's see if you can spot it. Number one, gospel. Number two, gospel fruit. Three, gospel reception. Four, gospel transformation. And gospel proclamation. Common theme, gospel. Someone's paying attention. That is really, really good. I made the point last week, and I'm going to make it again. Fundamentally, churches are gospel-centred. No gospel, no church. You can have something that says church outside. You can call yourself a church. You can think yourself a church. But if the gospel is not there, ultimately, it is not a church. If people's faith is not in God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not a church. It might have a great history and a great name. But unless the gospel is at its heart... It is not a church. Paul went to Thessalonica and he built a church. But not in a process of building bricks and mortar. It's there in Acts 17. As was his custom, Paul went to the synagogue and on the three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and to rise from the dead. What did Paul do? He proclaimed the gospel in the synagogue. He starts with the Jews because they understand that background. Later he goes to the Gentiles. But he proclaims the gospel. That is how you build a church. No bricks and mortar. No administration and organisation. No great heritage. Gospel must be at the centre. And he unpacks Well, Luke records for us here the two aspects that are critical to the gospel. If you want to see it unpacked more fully, go to 1 Corinthians 15. The first few verses there, about five verses, give you Paul's summary of the gospel. But here, it's here. The Messiah had to suffer the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That is absolutely essential. Him for us. Jesus in our place, bearing the penalty, the punishment we deserve. The NIV doesn't catch it very well, but it's in these little words, had to. A little bit of a Greek lesson for you here. There's a little word. Uh, it's 
D-E-I, day, and it means it is necessary. And it's used by the, the Bible writers when they want to communicate that this is what was necessary to happen to fulfill God's purposes and intentions. That there was no other way. Must, had to, yes, that it was necessary. The Messiah had to suffer. If we were to be restored in our relationship with God, Christ had to die. Like discipleship and evangelism, two sides of the one story, the death must be accomplished, accompanied by the resurrection. He had to suffer and rise from the dead. Paul says later in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ didn't die, there is no point in your faith. He says, we're pathetic. We are, we would be more pitied than anyone. If Christ didn't die, our faith is futile because his death achieved no salvation. So Paul goes and preaches the gospel of the Christ, the Messiah, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And if you recall from last week, the opponents recognized what he was saying. Do you remember in Acts 17, verse 7, they declared that Paul and the other Christians were declaring another king. They were declaring that there was another ruler, someone who claimed their allegiance more than any other earthly ruler. The Romans wanted to proclaim that Caesar was Lord, but Paul and his fellow workers proclaimed that Jesus Christ was Lord. Now, a couple of years ago, if you're old enough, you possibly will remember it. Uh, there was a tendency among Christian churches to talk about whether you've actually, uh, maybe you've accepted Jesus as your saviour, but have you accepted him as your Lord? Is anyone familiar with this? Have you heard this kind of stuff? So the idea is that you could actually come to faith in Christ, but you weren't really living as a disciple. And so what it led to was a two-stage Christian experience. You know, you've got your garden variety Christians, those people who trust in Jesus for salvation. And then you've got your keen beans, you know, your, your gun Christians who are the ones who want to trust in Jesus as Lord. And so they're, they're disciples and these are Christians. Can I say that that's not biblical? To accept Jesus as saviour is to accept him as Lord. And that's because the death and the resurrection are not two separate things. They are tied up at the heart of the gospel. Because Jesus died and rose again, he is Lord of all. And Philippians 2 tells us that he is the one before whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess. But I wonder sometimes whether we can fall into that kind of thinking about Jesus as Saviour and Jesus as Lord. Can I ask you, how does the Lordship of Christ, how does the good news of the Messiah, the promised King, come from God, the King of his kingdom? How does that affect your life? I want to pick on two things. I've been thinking about diaries recently. I reckon many of us are victims of our diaries. Yes? 
You say to people, how are you? Standard answer is busy or busy and tired. Uh, That's the normal thing that we say. And I reckon that we are actually victims of uh, our diaries. I'm not going to I have to use my own family as the illustration, but I'm not picking on them. So, you know, kids, get off my back. Don't give me grief. But I live in a family like yours where kids come up and say, Dad, I need to be here. Mum, I need to be there. We need, and we're running in 50 different directions for all different things. And schools are sending us all these things to be a part of. And then church gets in the mix and mixes all sorts of other things up. And we're all involved and we're running in 50 different directions all at the same time. We're so busy, we're busy, we're busy. And we never really stop. I would like to suggest that we need to submit our diaries to the Lordship of Christ. And so we should actually ask what this most precious resource that we have, the time that he has given us, how we use it for his glory. I think so often our diaries happen to us rather than we actually plan our weeks. How often do you get to the end of the week and you think there are so many things I know it would have been good and right and proper for me to have done. There are so many things that I think Jesus would have wanted me to do, like read my Bible, like spend time in prayer, like visit my sick friend, like share the gospel with my neighbor. I just don't have time. We've got a brainstorming group for evangelism meeting together on Monday nights at my house at the moment. And when we brainstormed what the key obstacles to sharing the gospel was, one of the really big ones was, I just don't have time. What is that? What is that? Kez is at the time of year when she's looking for kids' church leaders and basement leaders and blast leaders to see kids grow in their discipleship, to see non-Christian kids with whom we have connection come to know Christ. Is that something that God wants us to do? Of course it is. But so often we look at our diaries and we go, well, I've got work or I've got study and I've got this and I've got girlfriends, boyfriends, husbands, kids, sport, doing, I don't have time. Can I suggest we need to submit our diaries to the Lordship of Christ? The other key resource that we have is our money. I don't know if you noticed in the reading, it struck me in a way that it didn't previously. When Mel was reading for us out of 2 Corinthians 8, did you see that the Macedonian churches pleaded with Paul that they might give? Now, can I say, I've been a pastor for a while, but I've yet to have a congregation come up and go, Cameron, there's a budget. I want to give to that. Where do you get there? It's because the Macedonians, they knew the lordship of Christ over all of their circumstance. And they knew that he was a loving king. And so everything they had was his. And why wouldn't they give it in his service? Brothers and sisters, Shouldn't that gospel passion overflow in all our lives that we give God everything, not the leftovers? Gospel, gospel fruit. Go through quickly. The gospel is not its fruit. Let me explain. The gospel is not forgiveness of sins. 
The gospel is not justification by faith. The gospel is not love. The gospel is not joy. It's not peace. The gospel is the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What comes through the gospel is forgiveness of sins, is justification, is grace, peace, love. All those things are the fruit of the gospel. And we need to hold the gospel tight. We must never confuse the tree with its fruit. Let me explain why. I was at a church function the other day and we read together from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through to 20. That's what it said on the screen. You're familiar with the words, I'm sure, if you've been around Trinity Hills. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn above all... You remember these? And we get to verse 20 and... We, we read that God has reconciled to himself all things. Full stop. Sit down. I was there thinking, there's got to be something more here. Because if you look in your Bible, I look in my Bible, the verse doesn't stop there. But this church, this church had cut by making peace through the blood of his cross off the end of that verse. The rest of it was word for word out of the NIV. But for some reason, they wanted to focus on reconciliation and leave the gospel that actually achieved that reconciliation out of the picture. Because the blood of the cross is just a little bit uncomfortable for people today. And so we talk about reconciliation, we talk about love. In our evangelism, do we talk about Jesus... Or do we talk about what he does for us? I think we can fall into the second category too easily. We invite people to become and be part of a great community rather than tell them how they can be adopted by God through faith in Christ into that community. We can see that belonging and not believing is actually at the core. And as we do that, We lose track, we lose sight of who it is that actually blesses us. Because it is actually God who blesses us. But if we speak of reconciliation, our focus is on the gift, isn't it? It's on the gift, not the the giver. It's on what we're blessed with, not the one who blesses us. And so I sat through, thankfully it was only about half a day of church meetings and I did not hear about gospel, I did not hear about Jesus, I did not hear about forgiveness of sin, I didn't hear about anything of that, but I heard a lot about reconciliation and love. They're good things, they're right things, but that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Paul speaks of the fruit of the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 1, he wishes them grace and peace. That is what is ours in the gospel. Unmerited favour and blessing. Shalom. He speaks a little bit later on in verse 10. You see it there about Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. This gospel, this death and resurrection of Jesus is a rescue mission. It is the fruit of that gospel. I want to use a bit of an illustration to drive home a point. Someone used this one on me and I felt its weight. Imagine, it's not hard to imagine because there's lots of them. 
You read about them, see them on the news. Epidemics. Imagine an epidemic that is so virulent, so contagious, that every human being contracts this disease. Imagine a disease that is so toxic that it has a 100% fatality rate. So every person gets it, everyone is going to die. You see where I'm going with this? The Bible tells us that all have fallen short of the glory of God. That sin is universal and that without God's rescue, we are under his judgment. But the amazing thing is the gospel is God's rescue. And it's been given to us. And so imagine you're beavering away in the lab. Some of you, it's not too hard. I know there's some scientists here. And you find the solution. You find the cure for this disease. And you want to go out and spread this cure to cure this epidemic. What percentage of the population are you aiming for? You've got the cure and it's 100% effective. I'll tell you what you're not aiming for. 2%. That's about half a million people amongst Australia. You're not aiming for census, 45%. Even if it was true, there's still more than half of our friends and neighbours, our brothers and sisters, our families, our workmates, our schoolmates, under the judgment of God desperately needing to hear. Brothers and sisters, do we feel the privilege we have that we have that cure, that we have enjoyed that cure? Or do we look around and go, actually, there's, yeah, there's a few empty chairs, but that's not too bad. It'd be nice if there was a few more people here. Brothers and sisters, we are the second biggest church in this area of the hills. And there's about 300 or so people who call Trinity Hills their church. 300 out of 40,000 residents of the Adelaide Hills Council District. How many Christians in church across the 1.1 million people of Adelaide? Brothers and sisters, this is a gospel that needs to be proclaimed. It's a gospel That needs to be received. We touched on this last week, so I'll just go really fast. Verse 5, the gospel came not simply with words, not just a message, with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And that is seen there as they take this message and it transforms them. The word there for deep conviction, it means absolute confidence. Bet your life on it. Like when you go abseiling. If you've ever been abseiling, it is quite freaky to lean back and take that first kind of jump over the cliff. You are expressing absolute confidence, not only in your equipment, but the people who've prepared it for you. That is what the Thessalonians did. And we read in verse 6 that in the midst of severe suffering, with joy given by the Holy Spirit, they welcomed the message. Three weeks in, this church is being pulled before the town council in Thessalonica 
They are being actively persecuted within three weeks. It doesn't stop them. They become ambassadors for the gospel. Why? If you joined a gym and three weeks in, you got persecuted for being part of the gym, you'd kind of think, do I care so much about the gym? that No, give the gym up. Like, or if you go and get a new job and their workmates are picking on you, no, you get another job. But these people, they stand. They stand for Jesus. As Martin Luther stood before the Holy Roman Empire and said, here I stand, I can do no other when he was asked to recant his belief in the gospel. To where martyrs throughout Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan have stood and declared their faith in Christ. Why? How? Because they have absolute confidence in the one who died for them. Absolute confidence. That no one can take that. No one can touch that. That they are heirs with Christ and it transforms them. We see it there. Verse 3. We remember for our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope. See the connection, the faith, hope and love that all come out of the gospel. They produce work, labor and endurance. The gospel transforms life. Brothers and sisters, verses like this capture the heart of Christianity. Sometimes you can walk out of sermons like this and go, oh, I've got to try harder. And so maybe, maybe you're a list kind of person. You make yourself a little list about all the things you're going to do. It's like New Year's resolutions and why they fail dismally. The Christian life is not making lists. It's not to-dos. It's not even, I must love God more. Because that's a to-do, isn't it, as well? What is it? I've got to know how much God loves me. That's what's at the heart. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us, John says in 1 John. It's actually living and growing in our understanding, and that is something that God gives us through his Spirit transforming our hearts, knowing that we are loved and that nothing can take that. And it is this that transforms us. It's not grit, let's keep pushing on. It's wow, God loves me this much. And so the Macedonian Christians beg Paul for the privilege of giving their money in poverty and extreme trial. How does that make sense? Because they know the love of God. And that love transforms them. It changes them. You know, with kids, they end up looking like their parents. They end up doing their parents. Uh, I can remember once, one of my children, I think I was leaning against the wall. Uh, and I think I'd put my leg up and I'd sort of 
there. I don't have a wall behind me, so I won't lean back. It'd be quite funny. And I noticed one of my kids coming up and um, modelling, like making the legs in the right to the arms. It's just the exact thing. The gospel does the same. The Lord, the apostles, the Macedonians, and the people that they speak to. There is this line of imitation that it's not just a gospel message that is proclaimed, it's a life that is communicated. Verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord and you became a model to all the believers. And so as we think about the gospel in the life of our church, I want to ask you, who are you imitating? Who are you modelling to? Who are you learning from? And who are you teaching? Because the gospel was not given to you for you alone. Yes, it was given to you. Christ died for you. But there is this cascade of disciples making disciples making disciples. 2,000 years later, it is still going. The Apostle Paul had Timothy, who he invested in. Timothy had Paul, who he learned from. Who is your Paul? Who is that Christian who you are learning from, who you are looking to, who you are imitating? Who is the Timothy? Who is the one that you are investing in? Who is the one that you are modelling for? Who is the one who, by God's grace, you are seeking to see transformed by the gospel? I can look around, I can see growth group leaders here, I can see youth group leaders here, I can see blast leaders, kids church leaders. Praise God for all of you. You are being Paul's to your Timothys. Parents, you are doing it to your kids. You are transforming them. Focus on Christ and then they will focus on Christ as they focus on you. Who is your Paul? Who is your Timothy? This gospel, this gospel that bears fruit, that is received, that transforms life, is a gospel that must be proclaimed. Finishing up. Verse 8. The Lord's message rang out, literally resounded. The word here, the word here is used for a clap of thunder. It's used for the cry of a multitude. It's used for a trumpet blast. The gospel sounded out, not just in Macedonia and Achaia. Can I say that's northern Greece and southern Greece. So this little church didn't just impact the entire nation, but everywhere where your faith has been heard. It's kind of like saying Trinity Hills, the gospel resounded out from you, not just in Adelaide and South Australia, but across the nation and across the globe. These people got it. They knew the gospel. Joel Green says it, or Gene Green says it like this. The gospel proclamation was set at a high volume, went out with a great force over a large area. Maybe that doesn't do it for you. Maybe spinal tap is more your thing. You know, 11, exactly one louder. These guys had gospel proclamation set to 11. If you haven't seen the movie, I'm sure Richard Wunky was having a huge smile on his face just then. Ask Richard after the sermon. Okay. Brothers and sisters, 
There has been a time, I think, when people would say that, maybe not maybe in the exact words, of us. The gospel has gone out. Praise God. Last year, when we did carols, we got a letter from one of our other churches in the area, and they were thanking God for our public witness to the gospel. Praise God. But I kind of think of myself, and I think us as the church, we have gone a little bit quiet. We have gone a little bit quiet. Let the example of the Thessalonians encourage us to speak. They were a church that was known for the gospel proclamation. They sent out people to make it happen. So you read in the New Testament, you'll come across names like Aristarchus, Secundus, Jason. They took the gospel beyond Thessalonica. And brothers and sisters, we can look to people that we have sent out. Carl and Meredith Forsyth, church planters now with Trinity in the south, just about to see a congregation in 2018 planted down the southeast corner of the city. A whole team that left here to plant Trinity Mount Barker, Duncan and Miriam Andrews, who went two years ago to plant Trinity South Coast. Praise God that the gospel has gone out. But have we backed off a little? I don't have people coming up and saying, Cameron, when's the next church plant? How can we get even more onto the front foot with evangelism? I think we've taken a little bit of a step back. We love it. A little bit. But as we love God, so I think it should drive us even more. It was a church that was known for its proclamation. It was a church that was known for sending people out. And it was a church that was known for its gospel generosity. Brothers and sisters, Paul writes to the Corinthians, we want you to know about the grace God has given the Macedonian churches. What's that grace? That in the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. It's an amazing thing to say, isn't it? That is the grace that God gave them that they might be givers. Brothers and sisters, I don't know how you felt when I announced budget, vision 2020, those kind of things. Do we kind of go, oh, okay, okay, it's the cost of being involved, yeah, okay, fair enough. Maybe some of you are a little bit more, oh, yeah, okay, that's not too bad, yeah. But if we were the Macedonians, you'd be falling over yourself. Of course. And how else can we do it? And not just with our money, with our time, with our energy, with our prayers. Are we a gospel-transformed church? The gospel has deep roots here. I think we've just got a little bit sleepy. I think we need to be stirred. I think some other priorities are coming in and squeezing some other more important things to the side. Good things replacing the most important thing. Brothers and sisters, are we going to be a church like the Macedonians who will give ourselves first of all to the Lord? Because he gave himself to us. And as we do that, will we then give ourselves to the task that he has given us to be and to make disciples.
Let's pray. Lord and Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gospel of grace. We thank you for the wonderful testimony that we see in the life of this church, this Macedonian church, but also the testimony as we look around and see your work in our church. Father, we pray that we would be giving ourselves to you, not to earn your favour, but because we have your favour, because we are loved and nothing will take that love from us, because you give us every good thing. Lord, delight us in you and help us to be a light and a witness to this world that so desperately needs the gospel of grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.